Today on Let the Bible Speak. What is your opinion about the church? Do you share God's view of the church today? Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. It's good to have this time with you to study the Word of God. Thank you for joining me. Today I want us to study about the church, the church that Jesus Christ built and the church that the Bible describes as His bride. How do you view the church? Do you love the church? Or do you look upon the church with skepticism or even disdain? That's the case with many in our day, even some who claim to love and follow Christ. They have a dim view of the church. The Bible uses many metaphors and adjectives to describe it, but perhaps the word that conveys, as well as any, what Christ sees when He looks at His church is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Now, this epistle deals with the doctrine of the church itself as much as any in the New Testament. Paul emphasizes and illustrates many powerful truths about the church in Ephesians, and in the fifth chapter, he beautifully describes the church's relationship to Christ, likening it to the marriage union of a man and a woman. Beginning in verse 25, we read, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Well, here Paul uses a superlative to describe the church of Christ that many would never ascribe to the church. He says it is a glorious church. The word glorious means having great splendor or beauty. But what makes it so? By what right does Paul call the church a glorious or beautiful thing when so many today see the church as anything but that? Perhaps we need to look into the scriptures and try to see the church through the eyes of Christ, its builder and its head. I'll return with our sermon, A Glorious Church, after a song from the congregation. Oh, pray. 
you speak of the church today, it provokes many different emotions. Our culture increasingly looks upon the church with suspicion and often holds it in contempt and derision. Many view the church as a corrupted form of organized religion that should fade into the past where it belongs. They tell us that what is important is a relationship with God or perhaps with Christ, but ultimately that has nothing to do with the church. Consequently, churches are quickly dwindling in size, and the younger generations want little to do with it even if they claim to believe in God and have a relationship with Jesus. Some make fun of the church, treat it lightly, or they blaspheme it at every opportunity. And some are simply disillusioned, and they don't know what to think about the church, and so they simply avoid it. While some who profess Christianity and are considered members of the church have brought shame upon the church by their hypocrisy and evil conduct, the church is extremely important to God. It is important enough that the Bible says Christ died on the cross to obtain the church. Paul tearfully said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 and verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And Paul also said that it is through the church that God has revealed his eternal purpose for mankind, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. So yes, when God looks at the church, he sees something valuable and something beautiful and glorious, and he wants us to see the church in the same way. But what makes the church glorious in God's eyes, and why don't men see it that way today? It's not the things that make something splendorous in the eyes of people. And that's why many times people don't see the church in the way God does. It's not the building that the church meets in that makes it glorious because the church is not a building. The church is the people, the congregation of people that meet inside a building perhaps. A church might meet in a breathtakingly beautiful cathedral, but it could just as well meet in a simple home or in a plain meeting room or out under a tree somewhere and be just as glorious in the eyes of God. So where it meets has nothing to do with it. Uh, it's not its societal status, though it seems many religious leaders are intent upon making the church palatable and attractive to the world. Well, such will never be the case if that church is true to the Word of God. Acts 28 and verse 22 says that many considered the early church led by the apostles as the, quote, the sect that is spoken against everywhere. The church derives its power not from government, not from society, not from its standing in society, or from any earthly hierarchy of power or influence. The church derives its power from Christ and the gospel and that alone. The church is not glorious because of the social status of its members either, because its membership largely consists of common, simple, and often poor people. That was the level of society where Jesus had his greatest appeal while he was on earth, and that's been the case ever since. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, said Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It's not even the size of the church's membership. Although the church of Christ continues to girdle the globe, and though the kingdom of Christ continues to increase until Jesus comes again, the membership of Christ's church is small compared to the population of earth, and any local church constitutes a fraction of the people that live in that community, whether it's considered big or small. As Jesus said, many travel the broad way that leads to destruction, and few enter the narrow gate unto life, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. 
So crowds and whether or not its membership is made up of society's elite and doctors and lawyers, nothing wrong with being a doctor, nothing perhaps wrong with being a lawyer. But that has nothing whatsoever to do with what makes the church a glorious and beautiful thing in the eyes of God. And I hope we understand that today. If the church is a relatively small group of people with little wealth, little earthly power, and no societal position to speak of, then why does the Bible call it glorious? Why does it appear before Christ as a glorious church? And why should we see it so today? Well, first, Paul tells us that the church is a glorious thing because of her relationship to Christ. In other words, the church's glory is not of herself. The glory of the church does not come from something that the church does to present herself or make herself glorious in the sight of God. She doesn't present herself to Christ as a glorious bride. But rather look again at the text in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now let's notice some things in this passage. First, Christ gave himself for her, the church. This, of course, speaks of Christ's atoning death upon the cross, whereby members of the church have been saved and made members of his body. We couldn't save ourselves, but rather Christ died for us, the church. Why did he die? Paul says that he might sanctify. That means to set us apart. And to cleanse. That means to wash us clean of our sins. So that he... Get this now, so that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, outside of Christ, we would be in our sins. And in our sins, we are dirty and defiled. Well, Christ could not marry a defiled bride. He would not marry a defiled bride. He would only marry a chaste and untouched woman who could rightly wear the pure bridal attire of white. But those who make up his bride weren't pure, and they weren't undefiled. We were sinners and tarnished and sullied by the dirt of sin. But in order that he might receive us as his bride, he first washed us. He made us clean, and through obedience to the gospel, he dressed us in the pure white garments of righteousness. And because of the death he died, because of the blood he shed, and the atonement that he made for us, we can appear before him pure and holy, presented before him pure and holy, declared righteous despite our past sins. Titus 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, listen now, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10 verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now that's why Saul was told by Ananias when he came to believe on Christ. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 22 verse 16. Friend, that's not only what it means and what it takes to be saved, it's what it means and what it takes to be a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, you see, is made up of people 
who have been washed in the blood of Jesus when in faith they obeyed the gospel, thus cleansed from all their sins, and are thus presented to him as his pure and holy bride, not by their own merit, but by the blood of Jesus, by the cleansing and sanctifying work of the gospel. The Bible says of those who were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins in Acts 2.38 on the day of Pentecost that the Lord thus added them to the church, Acts 2 and verse 47. So the church is glorious in the sight of God because it is made up of His chosen ones who have been brought out of the world, restored to a right relationship with Him by having their sins forgiven and are now living in union with His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. The church is glorious because of its relationship to the Christ. It is his bride. And consequently, Christ doesn't take any less offense to those who ridicule, reject, and otherwise abuse his bride any more than you would if others treated your bride in that way. He loves his church. And we should give her the reverence and respect that is due the Lord's bride because she is his bride. But not only that, the church is glorious, not only because it's Christ's bride, but because it's his creation. His creation. Man did not design and build the church. It's not the product of man's thinking. Oh, now, many institutions that claim to be the church today are the product of man's thinking and man's wisdom. But the church that Jesus built was not built by man. God planned it. God planned the church from the foundation of the world. Paul alludes to in Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15. It is His creation. It is thus built according to His wisdom and not man's. God drew the plans in eternity, as it were, and in the fullness of the time, it was not only designed by the greatest architect, but when that time came, it was built by the greatest carpenter the world has ever seen, Jesus of Nazareth. It was built at the greatest cost of any building ever constructed, the very life's blood of the Son of God, as we've already read in Acts 20, verse 28. It is the temple and the dwelling place of God among men, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21. Not a building, but the church, the congregation of His people. Yes, the church is a glorious institution because God designed it to be so. And woe to the person who thinks that he or she can improve upon it. God doesn't need us to improve upon what He originally designed. Now, if God is the architect and Jesus is the builder of the church, shouldn't we be satisfied with it just as He built it? Shouldn't we be happy to simply be the church that we read about in the Bible and not try to be anything more or anything less than that church? It seems though some today are ashamed of the church as we read about it in Scripture. You know, if you look at the church as it's presented in the New Testament, it's really a very simple and humble thing, as the world would judge it. And some are embarrassed by that. Some of its own members are embarrassed by that. And so they see the need to set about to garnish and to embellish the church, to dress her up, and to make her more appealing to the carnally-minded world. It's simple worship. Why, that's outdated and irrelevant, they think. To simply work and worship as the church in the way that they did as recorded in the New Testament, that's passe and it's out of touch and even boring. Oh, if it's ever going to be a glorious church, it must get in step with the times and with the culture and show that it can compete with all of the thrill and excitement and cutting-edge innovation of the world. 
But friends, such thinking is not only misguided, it's dead wrong. The glory of the church has nothing to do with how the world sees it or whether the world likes it and accepts it. The glory of the church is in how God sees it and how God designed it. Its glory and its beauty are in the careful design that he had for her when he revealed it through the apostles in the New Testament. And if you search the Bible, you'll find that God uses simple and ordinary things in powerful ways for his glory, starting with the gospel itself. Paul said, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. You see, the work of the church is straightforward, to preach the gospel, to edify itself in the truth, Ephesians 3 and verse 10. The worship of the church is simple, primitive, reverent, and holy, and God-ordained. John 4, verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The organization of the church is very basic. Local congregations of believers who come together to worship, edify, and serve under the oversight of their own shepherds, older, qualified men appointed as elders, and deacons. You read of no other types of organization and hierarchies of power or arrangements than that. You don't read about archbishops and cardinals and superintendents and presidents and CEOs and all of that. You don't read of any of that in regard to the church. And to Christ, the church's one and only head, that arrangement, the church as he created it, is a beautiful and a glorious thing, and it should be to us as well. His church also preaches a glorious message. It carries the glad tidings of salvation from sin to the crucified Christ to a lost and perishing world. Listen very carefully now. That is the only message the church of Christ is commissioned by Christ to preach. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Paul described the posture of the church toward the world in Philippians 2 and verse 16 as holding forth the word of life. When Paul wrote to the worldly Corinthian church, he reminded them that when he first came and brought them to Christ and established them as a church, he didn't come preaching the politics of the Roman government or the Greek world. He didn't come sharing the latest and most novel philosophies out of Athens. He didn't come telling them how to live their best life now and become wealthy in the world's goods. No, rather he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, that's what the church is to preach today as well. We have no business preaching anything or anybody other than Christ and his revealed will. Any church that is pointing people to any ideal, any movement, any standard, any authority, any aspiration, any model other than Jesus Christ is not the true church. You see many so-called churches today that are steeped in politics. The church has no business in politics. 
Let the world be the world and the church be the church. And if the church wants to, listen now, if the church wants to change and impact the culture, well, let's get as passionate and zealous and consumed with preaching the gospel to lost sinners as so many of us seem to be in elections and politics and what goes on in Washington. Friend, politics cheapen the church and obscure her rightful message. In fact, it's my conviction that one of the reasons so many people are turning away from the idea of the church today is because so many claiming to represent the church have prostituted the church to politics and worldly concerns. You're not going to change the morality or the spirituality of the nation in the voting booth. You're not going to save the world in the halls of Congress or even on the Supreme Court. You change the values and the conscience of a nation by getting into their hearts and preaching the gospel to this lost world and by raising up godly children in godly homes. You see, the church is glorious in Christ's eyes because of the powerful message he entrusted her with, and that is to preach that message and the mission that he gave her to fulfill in carrying forth that message. Her mission is to save the lost by the preaching of the crucified and risen Christ, and there is no more glorious mission or message than that. She is also a glorious church because she wears a glorious name. Back to Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The bride of Christ has been given his name to wear. Oh, I know what people claim. Oh, there's nothing in a name. Names are unimportant. A name doesn't save. Friend, that's just not biblical. It may sound good. It may preach well. And a lot of people may believe and parrot it, but that doesn't make it scriptural. The church belongs to Christ. It is His bride. It is His body. He owns it and rules it. He is the sole head of it. And so my question is, why would it want to wear any other name or be described as belonging to any other person or any other thing? Think about that. Men have denominated the church by calling the church by this name or that name or identifying it with this particular doctrine or practice or this reformer or this religious leader. Why should the church be described in any other way than simply the church that belongs to Christ? The church that belongs to Jesus. The church of Christ. The church of God. The church of the firstborn. Those are all scriptural descriptions of the church. Why would we want to be known as anything else? You'll never hear a more glorious, more powerful, more holy, or more wonderful name. No sweeter name than the name of Christ. That's why the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were identified as simply being the followers of the Christ. The church that is Jesus' bride wears a glorious name, the name of its glorious husband, Christ Jesus. As I close today, I'd remind you that it's a glorious church because it has a glorious destiny. Paul said, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5 and verse 23. He has called the church out of this world spiritually and saved her. One day he'll call her out of this world literally and physically. Christ will return for his bride, and only his bride, to take her and her alone to be with him and his Father in heaven in that eternal kingdom forever. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, that when Jesus comes again, he'll deliver his present kingdom, the church, up to God the Father forevermore. It has a glorious destiny and future. And he sees it as his beautiful bride. Connect with us on social media. Go to Facebook.com and search for Let the Bible Speak TV. I hope today you have a deeper appreciation for the church that Jesus Christ built and purchased with his own blood. Don't measure the church by the imperfect lives of the people that make it up. Measure the church by the perfect standard of Christ and his wisdom and his word. He loves the church. He gave himself for the church. It is His eternal purpose and plan, and His great plan for the ages is made known through and by it, and He wants you to be part of it, and you can be by obedience to the gospel. If you would like to know more about how to do that, we'll be happy to answer those questions for you from the Word of God, and we hope to hear from you. If you'd like a free printed transcript of our program today, we'll be glad to send that to you. Get in touch with us and ask for the lesson, A Glorious Church, and we'll get that on its way as quickly as we can. Won't you tell a friend or neighbor in the coming week about our program? Encourage them to watch the next time we're together. And in the meantime, you can find us online, ltbstv.org. Follow us on Facebook and subscribe to us on YouTube. We also have a podcast that you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. And you can keep up with us that way. Thank you for joining me today. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week ahead. And I'll look forward, if the Lord wills, to meeting you back here for another Bible study next time. Until then, God bless. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.